0: Hello, welcome to a special edition of the Leads in Clean Tech podcast here in Prague. I'm delighted to be joined by our guest, Yuri Levine, who is uh, the founder of not one, but two unicorns. He's a constant, a serial entrepreneur, investor, author of this fantastic book, Fallen in Love with the Problem, Not to the Solution, which we'll talk about in a moment. But Yuri, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to have you here. So uh, we were talking before, this is not quite your first trip to Prague.
1: Ways in the early days was very successful here in Prague. Um, yeah, it turns out that Prague was one of the first cities that placed, uh, was very successful. Right. Um, and, you know, initially in 2010, it was actually only successful in about four countries. And okay. the Czech Republic and Slovakia was uh, two of them.
0: And nice springboard for war was an amazing journey, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things that I'm going to embarrass myself slightly here by trying not to be sycophantic, but the book, by the way, and often on the podcast, as you know, we, uh, we, we share and make book recommendations, but this really is fantastic. So if you are an entrepreneur or you're looking to be an entrepreneur, everything in there from ideation to fundraising right the way through to exit. So cool. things, <laughs> yeah, which you probably
1: obviously enjoyed more than once. Um, yeah, you know, I, um, so, so Steve Wozniak, co-founder of Apple called this book, the Bible for entrepreneurs and, yeah. uh, And when I first um, sent him, uh, you know, the first few chapters, he told me, I wish I had that when I started. Um, Because when I wrote this book, what I had in my mind is that, uh, can I really create a cookbook for entrepreneurs to increase their likelihood of being successful? And at the same time, fulfilling my destiny of sharing the knowledge, sharing the know-how with other entrepreneurs and help them to become more successful.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's one of the key things, isn't it? One of the reasons I started the podcast was to get entrepreneurs to share stories because it's so hard, right? It's so hard to found a business to take it to any form of success, let alone
1: to an IPO or to a, a huge exit like you've enjoyed. And this, um, you know, it's a long journey, right? And occasionally people ask me, Can you describe the journey? And I say, Yeah, I can describe it in three different dimensions. It's going to be a long roller coaster journey of failures, and each yeah. one of them is really important, right? It's a roller coaster with ups and downs and ups and downs and look if you will tell me that all the businesses in the world have ups and downs I agree but the frequency of those when you are building the startups way higher right I think that I owe uh, the best quote here to Ben Horvitz Ben Horvitz uh, one of the founders of Adresa Horvitz venture capital firm and before that he used to be a CEO of a startup and he was asked whether or not he was sleeping well at night as a CEO of a startup and he said oh yeah I slept like a baby I woke up every two hours and cried. Yeah. And that's really the reality. Right? <laughs> that pretty much is. That's why i have got great. I said it the same here. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, my brother is two years older than me, and he doesn't have uh, a <laughs> great. So, so obviously, this is not about genes. It's not about that. Uh, but, um, but let me say the following. Right? And, and this is a journey of failure, right? which is really important. It's really, really important, because uh, if you're afraid to fail, then in reality, you already failed because you're not going to try. Albert Einstein used to say that if you haven't failed, that's because you haven't tried new things before. You're going to try new things. You will fail. Exactly. The other conclusion is that if you realize that this is going to be a journey of failure, then the most important thing is to fail fast. Because the faster that you fail, you still have plenty of time to try something else, a different approach, a new version, a different go-to-market strategy, something else to try. And you, eventually will figure that out. Yeah. One of the things that really struck me, Yuri, was everybody
0: kind of has this idea of the fail fast and, and understands that mistakes get made and you can learn from them. But having a culture where firstly, you, you, you accept and embrace those mistakes generally, I think, is tough and a lot of people for sure. But when you go even beyond that saying that the, the journey is, by definition, a series of failures. You have a hypothesis, you test, you fail, you, you
1: change your hypothesis, you test, you fail continually. Exactly. Because this is the journey. Right? At the end of the day, look, the difference between a corporate and a startup is the corporate knows this is our market, this is our product, this is our pricing, this is our customers, this is what we are doing. Right? The startup knows absolutely nothing. Right, So we are going to discover what is our product value proposition and we are going to figure out our product. And then we'll need to figure out our business model, then we'll need to figure out our growth strategy and so forth and each one, and then we become a corporate, right? Yeah. And yeah. each one of them is is going to be a long roller coaster journey of failures, right? And so you're in an experimental mode all the time. Until you become a corporate. But this is really interesting
0: because a lot of people assume uh, when they're seeking the investment they have to have the business plan, which of course you you do, but you have to have you, you have to know your product market fit, you have to know your uh, your your customer experience, expectations, you have to know your, your business model, all of these things. But in your book, you talk about phases of the business and they don't necessarily have to run concurrently. They're phases you have to go through
1: independently sometimes. Absolutely. So so look, all of those journeys of all the startups will start with figuring out product market fit. And it's very simple. If you don't figure out product market fit, you will die, as simple as that. Actually, you never heard of a company that did not figure out product market fit. They simply died. that's it. When you think about companies that did figure out product market fit, then for a second I want you to think of, uh, you know, all the applications that you're using every day from, you know, WhatsApp or searching Google or using Waze or Netflix or Uber or whatever it is. And ask yourself, what is the difference between any of those that you are using today and the first time that you have used that? And the answer is that there is no difference. So product market fit is about creating value to your customers. Once you do that, you don't change that any getting there is a matter of years right it was five years for Microsoft it was four years for Waze it was 10 years for Netflix it's a long journey to get to get the true product market fit exactly and and there is only one metric for product market fit which is retention yeah now this is really simple if you create value they will come back if they don't come back that means that you don't create value as simple as that.
0: That's really interesting going back to, again, because we work with a lot of talk at tech entrepreneurs, some software and, and some hardware, and and many come with the s- solution rather than the problem. Or well, they come, they create a technology, or they have an idea that works for them. Uh, how do you describe in the book uh, 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 a market of one? Yeah, <laughs> an amazing sample of one person. Yes. So... So that's the value thing. I think is clear because again, something might work and it might be useful and it might have a, a, a use case, but it's not necessarily creating value. And that's the big difference between a successful company and another, I think, or one of them.
1: Right. And and then I would say, you know what? Just simply change it the other way around. Start with realizing what is the value, and the best way, the simplest way to create value is solve a problem. And this is why, you know, I call this book Fall in Love with the Problem and Not the Solution because when you focus on the problem and, and you know, and then you start with the problem and then you go and speak with people that you believe that actually have the same problem and you try to get their perspective of the problem. Yeah. And only then you go and build the solution. If you follow this path and your solution works, it's guaranteed that you're creating value. But it's also going to serve you as two main um, other goals. One of them is that... Um, if you have a pro- if the, if you focus on the problem, the problem would be the north star of your journey, and when you have a north star, you're simply going to make less deviations from the course. Yeah, and the story that you're going to tell is going to be way more compelling, right? Because if I will be here in 2007, right. and I will tell you, I'm going to build an AI crowdsource based navigation system, then you know, say, oh yeah, <laughs> <you have interesting. laughs> but you don't care. Yeah. If I will tell you I'm going to help you to avoid traffic jams, then you do care. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is the difference between a problem-based story and a solution-based story. Yeah.
0: One of the th- challenges, I think, when you start, uh, you have an idea, you you think you find a problem, and you want to solve it, so you speak to people around you. And my, my, my experience is directly and indirectly from people I speak to. Sometimes you speak to people who are wanting to make you feel good, so they'll say, yeah, great idea, and, and do that. Or others around your family think, oh, that's scary, don't do that, that will never work. And you've always experienced, I guess, or come across founders who have both of these. How do you get to... Uh, a validation of your idea from from
1: early stages when you're not just talking to your friends and family. So a lot of entrepreneurs ask me, so how many people do I need to speak to? And the answer is a hundred. Okay. And then they ask me why, and I say because I don't want you. If I'll tell you ten, then you're going to speak to your five close friends and to your parents and to your you know brother and sister and this and that, mm-hmm. right. and you're done. No, you're not done. Yeah. You need to actually basically say, you know what the, the, the the problem I'm trying to solve, these are the type of people that I actually have that. And then speak with 10 different people in each one of those types that you just described. Right? Yeah. Because only then you will get validation. Now, the reality is that this will never happen, right? Because if this problem is real, the first 10 people will actually give you the validation. This is going to be persistent. Yeah. No. if the problem is not real, then this is where the problem, your problem starts, right? Because then people will tell you, yeah, you know what, then, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. And, and the nice means that don't do it, right? Yeah. And, um, and and the reality is that what you'll try to do is that, you know, if you already think that this is what you're going to do, then you're going to ignore that. Then you're going to, to say, you know, and these, these people don't know. Exactly. You.
0: There's a problem sometimes, a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly tech entrepreneurs and, and hardware in particular, you know, very smart guys and girls, right? Very, very smart individuals. And sometimes because of that, you have some sense of ego that says, I'm not, you know, these people are wrong. Because we all hear of, you know, Steve jobs and the thing about, or, or even Ford, you know, people with ask for a faster force kind of thing, and, and just focus on this is a great idea because I'm a great individual, but that's such a risky path. Maybe one or two, maybe, maybe make it through, but really without that
1: validation um, you know, um, there were so many people that told me that this will never work. But it's not that they didn't like the they didn't li- they didn't think that the solution would work. But they definitely wanted me to be successful because I was solving the real problem for them. Um, the same, by the way, with um, Elon Musk. Right, so many people told him that he's crazy and this will never work. And uh, I think that over the years we realized too. That he is actually the greatest entrepreneur of the, all the century, like right? um and um, and the same with uh, Steve Jobs back then, and the same with uh, um, um, you know and anyone that makes significant changes. Um, it was the same. Uh, Mark Randolph, uh, co-founder there. of uh, of Netflix, actually wrote a book saying that this will never work. Right, right. And I can tell you that I heard that so many times. Right. And these were the nice guys, like the lesser, nice guys, they will tell you this is the stupidest idea that they ever heard. Um, but the reality is that um, what you're trying to validate is not whether or not you should go into this sharing, whether or not they care about the problem. Because if they do, yeah. then they're still not going to believe you that this is going to work. But then you actually have a very good reason to go into this chain.
0: Another thing around coach when you're starting those early days, you, even if you're focused on the the the, the problem, you, you you're working out how to take something to market, how to fix the problem, how to solve the problems. Very early on, you're talking again around customer experience and the whole issue of the journey about the customer experience or retention, as you touched on, which is, is ultimately the success. But so often businesses focus on the the the, sol- the solution, the, the hardware, the software that solves the problem, rather than the customer feedback. And I think. From what I've experienced, I've seen from reading your book. That that accelerates your growth. The constant listening to your to your because customers. Of course, it
1: does because uh, because then you actually building the right stuff, right? So, so let's take an example of uh, you know features, right? So, so most people would think that the product is going to become better if uh, if we will add more features, and no, the answer is that the product will become better if you simplify. It. And uh, Leonardo da Vinci said that, uh, you know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Right? Yeah. Um, because um, at the end of the day, and you want, to use it, you want people to use that now. Here is your biggest challenge, right? Man. You're already familiar with the product, with the value proposition, with how to use that. And when you think about the next users that you're going to have, this next user, it's the first I end going to face your product. Yeah, and they not necessarily know even why they're trying that way. so this is first time user experience this is your product manager or your product lead or your CEO it's not the first time and it's like the first keys, right you yeah. cannot experience the first time user experience again that's it yeah. there is only once and if they will find out that this is complex their state of mind is very simple you know what I was doing fine until now and I will keep on doing fine if I'm not using it, right? Yeah. yeah. And if this is too complex, then what happens is actually it serves you um, the other way around, right? Rather than people will basically say, I'll figure it out. They will say, wait a minute, this is too complex. I um, I feel like an idiot. I don't like to feel like an idiot, so I'm gonna give up on that, right. and that's it. And yeah. Another challenge
0: I think co- comes across, and you touched it again in, in the book and with your experience, sometimes internationalization quite early is- is a good thing because of the market fit and, and the dynamics of different markets. But also sometimes adding geographies or adding uh, features, both
1: can be a distraction of from course. the goal. So so look, the, um, there is a, um, a chapter in my book that is called uh, Going Global. And the funny part is that I wrote this chapter and then I removed it. And then I wrote it again and removed it again. And the reason is that this might be irrelevant in some cases, and it's completely irrelevant in some other cases, right? So if you start your startup in in Israel, which is a small place, or here in Prague, right? There are 10.5 million people here in Prague, That in Czech Republic, that's it. And, you know, and even if you take Slovakia um, as part of it, then it's still a small place, right? And so you will need to become global very fast. If you start in the U.S., by the time that you will need to think about going global it's going to be five six seven eight years down the road and you are either already market leader yeah. and your globalization strategy could be based by raising tons of money and doing acquisitions everywhere right. um or um, brute force with with money everywhere uh or if you're not market leader then then it doesn't take you any differently Uh, And so what you will likely to see is that startup that starts in a small place, they will become global faster. Whereas startup that starts in a large market, they will focus on the market first. And this is the right thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Now, if you're starting in a small place and you were asking me, what's your globalization strategy? Then I would say, I want you to think of a significant enough market that is easy to win. And that might be surprising market for you, right? So so US is definitely a significant market, but it's not easy to win. No. It's right? tough. And UK is pretty significant market, but it's not easy to win either, right? It might be Brazil, it might be Indonesia, it might be Mexico, it might be Turkey, it might be um you know, South Southern Europe, Spain or Italy, it might be um, emerging markets that are easier to win because there is no competition there.
0: You,
1: yeah, And so you think of ways and you say, "Okay, oh, this is very successful in, um, in the U.S., and yes, of course it is, because there are more you know, drivers, more cars in the U.S. than any other markets. But then you ask yourself, okay, and what is the second market? Brazil. And the third one? India. And the fourth one? Indonesia. Because yeah. um, there are 480 million people in Indonesia, right? We just don't think about it as a market. What covered? It's interesting,
0: yeah. Because sometimes I think people do it from ego, and of course, the U.S. is the big shiny thing. And if you get that, then clearly it's a big difference. But as you say, it's a lot of competition, a lot of hard work. too.
1: it's uh, y- you will need a lot of resources in order to become successful there, right? So, occasionally people would say, you know what, I, I have very a couple of millions of dollars, and I'm going to make it to the U.S. and based on that, I will be able to raise capital in the U.S. The reality is that you're not going to create any traction there. And then you'll fail to raise money there because you have no traction, right? You just demonstrate to investors that uh, it's not worthwhile to invest, right? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you'll be able to create traction in someplace else, then you might be able to get funded and then go to the. Yeah, so yeah. and social visit. I'm conscious of the time. One of the things I did want to cover with, because I'm quite passionate about culture within
0: businesses. And one of the things I thought was quite interesting and, uh, uh, was around the, the, the fire first rather than no, the focus on fire rather than hire. Um, clearly, get hiring you know, uh, is 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 a critical part of the process. But I absolutely agree. Firing people or moving people along early can make a big difference. Uh, that that's something which you get maybe you get some resistance from because it's, it sounds sometimes a little harsh. But the reality is, sometimes you
1: have the wrong people on the bus, right? So so you know, it's, uh, there there is a chapter in my book that called firing and hiring. And when I approached uh, you know different publisher, they told me it should be hiring and firing, and I said, nuts Hiring is a hard decision. Hiring is easy decision. You should know how to make hard decisions. And and it's coming from a perspective that I've developed over the years when I spoke with entrepreneurs and, and I spoke with many entrepreneurs that their startup failed and asked them why, what happened. And about half told me the team was not right. And I kept on asking, okay, what do you mean the team was not right? And so I heard, you know, we had this guy not good enough. And this guy so not good enough was the main reason. Another reason that I heard quite often is that we had uh Communication issues, right? Something that I actually called the ego management. Right, yeah. And then asked them the most scary error questions. When did you know that the team is not right? All of them knew within the first month. So, the first month, everyone know and knew that the team is not right and said, mm-hmm. wait a minute, if you knew within the first month that the team is not right and you didn't do anything, yeah. the problem was not that the team was not right. The problem was that the CEO did not make our decision. Right. Making hard decisions is hard, making easy decisions is easy. This is why in a small organization like a startup, they expect the CEO to make those hard decisions. They would go all the way to the top. Now, if the one in the top doesn't make those hard decisions, the result is always going to be the same. Yeah, A players would always leave if they don't have high performing people, they would leave. Bam. Now, the problem, and, and this is what amplifies the issue, is It's a small team, right? It's a small organization. Just imagine every small organization that you were there throughout your entire career. And if there is someone that shouldn't be there, everyone knows. Everyone knows, and the CEO doesn't do anything. That's the nature of the beast. And, uh, um, and, you know, the conclusion of this chapter is actually very simple. Every time that you hire a new person, mark your calendars for 30 days down the road. And ask yourself one question. Knowing what I know today, would I hire this person? Yeah. Now, if the answer is yes, then this is absolutely amazing. And you should go to this person and tell them that you are very happy with the decision to hire them. And they are exceeding your expectation. And if you can give them something as a token of appreciation, this would be a good time. Maybe additional equity or something. But if the answer is no, then you should fire them immediately. And the reason is that everyone knows, and so you're doing the rest of the team a favor, you're doing yourself a favor, and you are doing that person a favor, yeah. because that person is not going to be successful. You already set the trajectory that they shouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they deserve to be successful, even though that it's going to be someplace else. Death. Now, the longer that you wait, it's going to become harder and harder and harder. Yeah, when I ask my CEOs, when did you decide to fire... You know, one of the management team. The whole thing told me too late. Like.
0: Too late, absolutely. Yeah, 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 We get caught in after when these things happen. I think one of the caveats in that also is, again, it's around having the right onboarding, exp- you know, for when someone joins, giving them the tools and resources and the onboarding so that they can be of their best. And, and sometimes I think companies acquire, so much like an acquisition, sometimes companies make an acquisition and then don't know what to do with it. And I think sometimes people hire talent and then don't necessarily know how to to do with it that's not saying that we shouldn't get rid of them but sometimes that's again an issue in the hiring process
1: or an issue with uh, CEOs so so you know occasionally you would say that person is, is the right person but as an organization we don't know what to do with it right same cop yeah, yeah but still they shouldn't necessarily be on the bus so let's say that you are trying to hire um, you know VP sales and you bring an amazing person but you don't care have, you haven't figured out product market fit yet so you expect them to sell, but you don't have anything to sell yet. That person is going to be very frustrated. Yeah. So it will be better off to actually fire that person, even though that this is an amazing performing person. Yeah. Sometimes it's a
0: timing thing rather than an individual, right? Yep. Okay. So I'm just conscious that I, I think we're running a little bit short on time. What's next for, for you? You're obviously, you've got the book, you're, you're obviously keen to, to share that with the community. You're, you've obviously got other entrepreneurial
1: activities going on. What does the, the next few years look like for you? So look, um, okay, I have about 10 different startups that I coach and mentor the CEOs and guide and um, some of them are going to become very successful and uh, you know statistically when you think of this world and you will realize that not all of them but this is part of the game. Um, and so this is um, my um, you know highest priority, I'm promoting the book because I think this is going to end up with a bigger impact on the world. At the end of the day you look at all the innovations that were done in the last 50 years and and you go back to the beginning and you say wait a minute all of them start because of an entrepreneur that was there at the beginning so if we can increase their likelihood of being successful we are actually going to bring the world to, to become a better place faster yeah yeah uh, and that's about the book and um, you know i speak at different events uh, for that and uh and and that's about it now i'm helping my startups i'm you know occasionally building investment vehicles that uh, will help them to become more successful and uh, and that's what I foresee for the next few years. Yeah, it's that level of entrepreneurship. I read something the other day. I'm not sure if it's the exact
0: statistics, but it sounds like entrepreneurs are three percent of the population, but they create seven percent of the jobs. Yes,
1: yes, definitely. Yeah, and um, and and there is more into that, right? Because at the end of the day, when you um, when you think about, yeah, really, you you go into the top ten companies of the world today. And except Apple and Microsoft, that they are almost fifty years old. Everyone else is less than thirty. And Aramco, Aramco is different. But but everyone else is less than thirty years old. Right? They started by an entrepreneur that is still a young person. Yeah, yeah. That's the amazing part of it. It's a beautiful thing. So listen, uh, do grab the
0: book. we we'll make sure on the episode page that there's links to 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 the book. It, it is fantastic. Uh, obviously, you can catch up with Yuri on uh, various platforms as well. We're sending links to uh, on the website page to his own uh, website. But, Yuri, it's been brilliant to meet with you. Thanks for sharing your thoughts. Thank
1: you.